Uh, Psalm 6, and follow along as I read. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Let's pray together. Lord, would your spirit guide and lead us in all truth as you've promised? And would you help me as we work through this passage together that you would get all the praise and the glory we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the greatest endings to any sporting event was the 1997 Ironman Triathlon Championship. And this was, you know, it's an incredible race. It's, it's 2.4 miles of swimming, 112 miles on the bike, and then the, the cherry on top is the marathon at the end. And in 1997, two women are coming into the finish line. And this is something that captured America's attention. Two women coming into the finish line. They're about 100 feet from the finish line. And the one who is uh, in front of the other one falls down. Falls down, struggles, because after this long, incredible day of athletic achievement, her legs are just giving out. Maybe there's some kind of Electrolyte imbalance, so she gets up, wobbly, moves forward a few steps, sits back down, and another woman is coming up behind her. Again, the one who's there in front of the other one falls down and actually kind of knocks over the other one who's also woozy, and her legs are giving out, and they fall down together. They're 25 feet from the finish line. They're that part of the finish line. Crowd is going wild. It's that part of the finish line that's like a tunnel lined with spectators. And they start crawling to the finish line to see who would finish. And it captured America's attention because as they crawled across the finish line and their support team scooped them up, got them to the medical tent to get whatever kind of aid they needed, that was for fourth and fifth place. It was not for first and second. And you can watch this. These kinds of things still live on the Internet, which is for better or worse. But the incredible thing is, this is a picture. I'm telling you this story because it is a picture of what's going on here in Psalm 6. Because we're told here, David admits, he's the writer of this psalm, he admits he is what? Languishing. 
Now, we don't often use that word, do we? You know, how are you doing today? Well, I'm, I'm kind of languishing. We don't really use that word. It's biblical language. You may have a translation of the scripture that says weakness. That's what it means. He is weak. He is sick. He is wobbly. He is crawling to the finish line. It's not going from strength to strength. Languishing is hangry with a touch of depression. It's all combined in there. And the amazing thing is we don't know. We don't know the occasion why he was this way, why he was languishing. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We can look to the superscription. That's that text that uh, comes before the Psalms to the choir master, etc. We don't get a hint there. Why is he languishing? We don't know, but he is. What do we do when we're sort of wobbly coming into the finish line? Or maybe, you know, tomorrow, Monday, or maybe for you parents sending kids back to school on Wednesday, you're going to feel some languishing. What do we do with that languishing? What do we do if everything is not okay? And it's not okay for a prolonged period of time. What do we do with that? Can we even talk about this in Christianity? I sure hope we can. It certainly isn't brought up in many church settings, but it's right here before us in the Psalms. How do we deal with our languishing? Well, the first thing I'm going to show you here is we go to God with our languishing. Our languishing, and this can be physical, it can be spiritual, it can be psychological, it may be relational languishing as well. You have this situation in your life, a relationship that isn't what you want it to be, and it doesn't seem to be correcting or moving forward. Could be all those things. What do we do with it? We go to God with it. Those feelings of languishing are not off limits for our great, powerful God. That's what David does. You see here in verse 2, he says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm fine. He admits the problem. He is languishing. If we go back to verse 1, he says this, Oh, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. So he comes to God with his languishing, and he begins there with expectations because he knows something of the character of God, that with God, David, and if you're a Christian, we don't get what we deserve, do we? What do we deserve? Rebuking and anger, disciplining and wrath. That's what we deserve. You see how... Verse 1 sets the expectations. These are biblical expectations, aren't they? David is saying, Lord, I know I deserve your judgment. I deserve your anger. Have pity on me. I am languishing. He says here in verse 2, be gracious to me. In other words, God, respond to me, not based on my righteousness, but your good character. There's something of the gospel here, isn't there? David looked forward to it. We look back to it being on the other side of the cross. David would write in Psalm 103.10 that God treats us not as our sins deserve. That's what this is getting at. So be gracious to me, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are 
trouble. The trouble he is facing, the distress, the relational, spiritual, psychological, emotional pain, we don't know which, maybe all of them. Certainly David, as we look historically, had situations in his life that would cause this languishing. He says, heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. In other words, the distress and the trouble has got to the deepest part of him, his very bones. This is serious business, isn't it? And he says in verse 3, my soul also is greatly troubled, in distress. And then he says, but you, O Lord, and then notice it, it sort of cuts off, doesn't it? But you, O Lord, as if he's going to say something, but he's so distressed, he can't at that time recall to mind the fact he wants to about God. In other words, to bring a contrast to his situation. But you, O Lord, and then he just, I think it's as if he throws up his hands and says, how long? How long do I have to deal with this? I think that is a wonderful Christian response to languishing, to situations. We, we look to God. We go to God with our languishing. and We throw up our hands and we say, how long? How long, O Lord? Because we are looking to you to deliver us, to treat us not as our sins deserve, but to be gracious to us and to cure what only you can. So how do we handle languishing. You go to God. You don't cover it up. You admit it. You bring your very soul in the condition of that soul, your emotional condition, psychological, physical condition. You bring it to the Lord, and you say, here's the situation. And you look for God to fix it. What, what's uh, <clears throat> maybe your first response to languishing, my, my first response, you know, uh, probably this is after rub some dirt on it, right? We deny it. We deny it. We just try to soldier on. We think being a Christian has something stoic about it, and we just soldier on. That is not what David is doing here. And so I'm encouraging you that if you are languishing, if something is wrong in your life, that you would not ignore it, deny it, but you would go to God. Go to God. When you are weak, when you are languishing, head in a Godward direction. This is what we're called to. So, go to God with our languishing. Don't ignore it. Don't deny it. Go to God with it. How do we go to God with it? One way David goes to God with it is in prayer. So go to God in prayer with our languishing. Look at his prayer here. It's in verses 4 and 5. He's, he writes, Turn, O Lord. You see, this is a prayer. He's addressing God. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. He asks for deliverance. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Notice here that David is... His, the salvific action of God is predicated on, based on, not on David's righteousness, but God's own steadfast love. Steadfast love is a determined love, 
a love that is in spite of our sin, a love that sticks with us through the power of Jesus Christ. So he says, turn, O Lord, deliver me, deliver my life, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Then he states a fact here. He states a fact in verse 5, for in death there is no remembrance of you in Sheol, who will give you praise? Now, Sheol there, it's a key word in the Psalms. It is synonymous with the grave. What David is saying here, he's making a statement. He's saying, in death, it's over. That life is amazingly brief. And the languish that I am experiencing is keeping me from giving you the praise that is due your name. You must fix this because when I go to the grave, the praise in this life will end. So he is bringing an immediacy to his prayer for help. He knows death is coming and the time of deliverance is now. And the encouragement for us as we go to God in prayer with our languishing, the encouragement for us is that no matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we will do, no matter how we feel, we can go to God with our languishing, with our depression, with our broken relationships. We can go to God and ask Him to fix it and ask Him, and this is what David does here, to fix Him. We can go to God, fix the situation, fix us by your grace, by your wonderful steadfast love, which does not give up on us. So go to God when we're languishing, and David shows us here. Go to God in prayer. We can also go to God in worship. There's other ways that Christians are called to approach God, but prayer is the main one here. Turn, O Lord, deliver my life, and it's based on God's wonderful steadfast love that he will fix the situation and fix even David's heart. Part of that praying includes, you see there's sort of a alternating going on here. David is describing the situation, then he goes to the Lord in prayer. Now we're back to the situation And the encouragement here is not only do we go to God in prayer, we go to God in our sadness, in our sadness. That's what David does here in verses 6 and 7. He says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. So I, I like to pause here. Because you know how there's people who say, you need to take the Bible literally. And, and what they really mean is you need to approach the Scripture and its commands with a heart of obedience through Jesus Christ. That's what they really mean. Because you can't really take this literally. This is poetry. It's figurative language. You should take the Bible the way the Bible intends you to take it. And here... There's this imagery that comes to us that David is weary with moaning and he cries so much his bed is flooded with tears. You know you can't achieve that. Some of you might be pretty good criers, but you're not going to flood your bed. 
He writes, and so you see what I'm saying. It's responsible biblical interpretation then to take this as a figurative image. David is really crying. Verse 6, I drench my couch with weeping. So it's important to understand that real men do cry. David, real man, really did cry and express emotions. And some of us have trouble emotionally because we don't express our emotions. And certainly I want you to know that it is safe with God to go to God in the emotional state that you're in, even in your sadness, with your sadness. So real men do cry. Of course, we saw uh, Elder Mike Kelly read from John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Uh, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem in Luke 19:41. So we do know that real men do cry. We're told in Isaiah 53:3, he was despised and forsaken by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that brings us to verse 7. David writes, My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. So here in verse 7, we get the closest explanation for why he is languishing. It's a dual reason. One is because of grief. Grief is our emotional response to loss. When we think of grief, we automatically think of death and someone dying and our response to that. But grief is much more complex than that. Grief is an emotional response to any loss. Now, sometimes the losses are serious. And they involve death, the death of a loved one. Sometimes the losses are much less important. You know, I go to the pickle aisle, and they don't have my brand of pickles. And I'm languishing. What's wrong with this supply chain, and why doesn't... How long, oh Lord, would you fix the supply chain? And sometimes what happens is when we have a big serious grief, the pickles really do kind of break us up because it's like ripping the scab off the loss we've experienced in another area of our life, and it compounds our current uh, experience of grief. And so we see here it's because of grief. And I want to encourage you with this, that we can go to God in the midst of our losses. Christians are some of the worst at responding to death or responding to loss because we think that the experience of heaven solves this earthly experience of grief. And that just isn't the case because we live in a fallen world and people sin against us. We still experience the loss of grief, though our loved one may be in heaven. Certainly, it's, it's a tempered experience. It's a lesser experience. But nonetheless, we do experience grief. We see my eye wastes away because of grief. Perhaps David had suffered some kind of grief. We know that he lost a child with Bathsheba. And he says, as I waste away because of the grief, it grows 
weak because of all my foes. There are foes arrayed against David. I mean, we know that from the insurgency his son Absalom launched, uh, and that takes us back to Psalm 3. His eye wastes away, it grows weak, maybe because he's crying so much, and he can't see. Maybe he can't physically see, maybe he can't spiritually see and discern and have perspective about things. That's certainly a possibility that his experience of grief has whacked his perspective. And it is, he's unable to discern how the Lord ministers to him at this moment. So life has sadness. And the good news is, as Christians, we have a Savior, Isaiah 53.3, who is acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows. We certainly will experience unpleasant emotions and experiences in this life because the world has fallen. And the beauty of Christianity is we deal with life as it is, not as we wish it were. We traffic in reality in Christianity. And whatever you throw against those who have faith in Jesus Christ, we can go to God with it. We can go to God with it. And the amazing thing is God will bring us the victory. This psalm ends on a happy note, even though none of the circumstances change. David, as it were, has talked himself back to the truth. Sometimes in the midst of our languishing, in the midst of our unpleasant emotions and grief, we need to be the ones talking ourselves back to the truth, coming to God that he might remind us of these wonderful truths. There is a distinctive shift that happens here in verses 8 through 10. Depart from me, verse 8, all you workers of evil. How, how can he even say this? He goes from languishing. The bed's flooded with tears. He can't see because of grief. Verse 8, depart from me, all you workers of evil. Where's the motivation come for this? Where's the strength come from that? To, to say that. Look at the second half of verse 8. For the Lord has heard the sound of of my weeping. When we weep and we languish, God does not ignore our pleas or our cries for help. He is not like that old school parent on the playground, guilty as charged, that said, nah, you're not hurt. Nothing's broken. Shake it off. God doesn't say those things to us. He is merciful and loving towards us. And it enables us to confront that which is wrong in our life and to confront evil. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Why? The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. Oh, it gets better. The Lord has not only heard the sound of my weeping, look at this in verse 9, the Lord has heard my plea. In other words, my prayer, how long, O oh Lord, do I have to deal with this? God's heard that. So he's heard my weeping. He's heard my prayer. Look at verse 9. The Lord accepts my prayer. Three things we are assured of 
in the midst of our languishing. Three things. When we, when we just watch the news and we just shake our head, which is every day, and we shake our head, we can say, if our life is in Christ, if you placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we are God's people. And we can say, in the face of everything that is wrong in this world and wrong in our life, and wrong with those other people in our life, we can say, the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Again, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed circumstantially. But that's enough for David to stop his crying, his weeping. It's enough to cure his soul. It's enough to cure his bones. Verse 10, all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. What does David say about himself in verse 2? Look at the end there. For my bones are troubled. Verse 3, my soul also is greatly troubled. But in experiencing the wonder of God's steadfast love, that he has heard the sound of my weeping, he has heard my plea, he accepts my prayer. Who's troubled now? Who's troubled now? Verse 10, all my enemies. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is not necessarily, not necessarily directly solving the languishing, but it certainly enables David to outlast that languishing, and it certainly tempers that experience of languishing if we know. And I want you to be assured of that this morning. If we know. That God has heard your weeping. He has heard your plea. He accepts your prayer in Jesus Christ. He will bring us the victory. And in many ways, he has already done so in Christ. We as Christians are not future-oriented enough to say, this is enough for me that God is king and the king has heard my weeping, heard my plea, and he accepts my prayer. So, if you're limping to the finish line, or maybe you're one past limping to the finish line, and you're actually crawling to the finish line, know this, that God hears your weeping, hears your prayer, and accepts it. And not only that, when we reach the finish line in Jesus Christ, he will scoop us up. He will take care of his people. So what do we do with our languishing? Go to him with it. He can fix it. Go to God in prayer. Restart your prayer life. Go to God even in the midst of your sadness, said no one ever, in broad evangelicalism. Because God brings us the victory. He has heard he has heard, he accepts. Let's pray together.
Lord, how thankful we are that even in the midst of our languishing and sadness, you meet us there. And Lord, we know many of us today, we may be languishing over something, a difficult relationship, something that didn't go the way we expected or wanted, a sickness, an illness, an emotional disturbance, a relationship that is on the rocks. Whatever it is, we go to you and we thank you that in Jesus Christ, we can be confident that you hear us when we weep, that you hear our prayer and that you accept it. Let that be enough for us today and always. We, your people, pray in Christ's name. Amen.